please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We will be looking in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. This is God's word. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you for the promise of your word. That it will not return void. It will accomplish its purpose. And so we pray, O God, would you speak this morning. And if the purpose is we need medicine to our very souls, would you apply your word to us? If it's nourishment, would you feed us with the richest of foods? And if it's joy, demonstrate it through the great treasure of your truth. And all for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Please, you may be seated. few years ago, my wife Meredith and I, we moved to Columbia, South Carolina in November of 2012. We were beginning a college ministry there, and we w- looked for a house. We founded what we thought was a great rental property, only later to find out after we were expecting our first child. That is not true. You see, we would leave to go on vacation or retreats or to visit family and not to gross you out or anything, but we would return and there would be mold all over our furniture. And it's like, what's going on here? And so we thought maybe it was us. Maybe we needed to fix something on the thermostat. And so we made as many adjustments as possible and we could not come back and not see mold. Well, we're renters. So we asked the property management for help and received none. And so we bought a mold test. Mind you, we are expecting our first child. And the mold test, the uh, man who did it came to me and said, can I talk to you for a moment outside? I said, sure. So I'm standing there. I said, will you help me understand what's the reality? And he said to me, it's safer for you to live outside than inside. And so I said, how do I tell my pregnant wife that? And so immediately we begin to look, how are we going to get out of this? We're not getting any help from the rental company. And so we thought now would be a good time to buy a house. 
well, the prices were quite high, especially where we lived. And so we were praying and we were trusting the Lord, God, we need help. And there was this lot, I kid you not, literally across the street at a for sale sign. I might have called six, seven, eight times and never received anything but a voicemail. And so one time, out of frustration, because we had been looking everywhere, I just saw a man mowing the grass. And I said, sir, who pays you? And he gave me the woman's name and number, and I give her a call, and I said, we are interested, but we can't get in touch with you guys. And she said, we've been paying this rental, uh, this you know, real estate company, high dollar, and they've never let us know. I said, ma'am, we're, we're interested in a lot. How much would you charge? And she gave us the price, and it was, well, that was way, way out of our price range. I said, I'm sorry, we can't afford it. And so she said, what can you afford? And I got a little nervous. I don't know how to answer that question on the spot. <laughs> so I gave her the price, and she says, done. You write the contract, we'll sign it. And so we are building a home, which is exciting if you think about it that way. There's, it's also frustrating, especially if you have no money. Uh, you think about this dream home, and you think, we're going to fill it with all kinds of great things, and then you find out we can't afford most great things. And so it became simpler because it was A or B. Which, one, which light fixture do you want? You only have these two to choose from. And so it was exciting. We're building our home. It was right across the street. How convenient, and yet how disappointing. Because you see the construction workers come. You think that there's going to be a lot of work done. And then they leave, and you're quite uncertain as to what they did. And so that process became over and over as we would look out the window. Why aren't they doing this work that they said they would do? We have to get out. God, in his mercy, finished the house, and I kid you not, five days before our first child was born. So if you need pastoral advice on what not to do in marriage, I'm very helpful in that area. Uh, but that's a little snapshot as to what we're looking at this morning in Haggai. They've been in exile. Last week, if you were with us, we, we learned that we're in 520 B.C. It was August 29th, and the people of God had been rebuked by Haggai for not rebuilding the temple. That was the main reason in which they were to return, and they left it in ruins. And in chapter 2, we're about just under a month after that. It's October 17th, and I understand you're already thinking that's a little bit more than a month. The Hebrew calendar doesn't count days the same way we do. So in their calendar, they're just under a month. They've heeded the word of the Lord. They're rebuking, and they are obeying. And when you drop in, you, you see not excitement, and you see discouragement, don't you? You see disappointment. The people of God seem to be quite disappointed. And you can imagine the complaints that are coming. They just want things to change. They want it to go back to normal, the way it used to be. And you can even begin in your own thoughts to think, I've, I've heard that. I've thought that somewhere. What is God doing with his people? Well, there's several imperatives here and even activities of God. And so I want to help us look at what is God doing in the midst of their disappointment, in the midst of their woes. I want to do so with two points. What is man's work in the world? What are we to be doing? What is God saying to his people to be doing? And then what is God's work in the world and beyond? So look with me in these first four to five verses. You remember it's 586 B.C. is when the temple in Jerusalem was entirely destroyed. The people of Israel had been exiled into Babylon. 
And again, they are returning. And what was the charge? What was the reason for returning? Well, it was to rebuild the temple. It was to bring back the worship of God. And they're very disappointed. They're discouraged. That's not the effect in which they're doing. And they've already agreed. We heard your rebuke, O Lord. We're trying to obey. And it doesn't seem to be working. What are we to do? Why are they so discouraged? Well, I think there's several reasons. The month of October in the Hebrew calendar, well, it's filled with many holidays. It's a busy month. It, they've got the Day of Atonement. They have the Feast of Tabernacles and others. And in every one of those holidays, they're not allowed to work. And so, as they have said, Lord, we are all in and we're ready to obey, it's almost as though they had to say, well, I guess we can't do it now because the holidays are upon us. No doubt you have people. Remember, 586, you have people who would be returning from exile, perhaps in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and they're looking on the temple grounds and they can remember the structure that was there. They have memories. I met John there. I remember the details. I remember this particular service. They have great memories, and it's gone. It's utterly destroyed, and they're looking upon it and wondering, what do we do? They're discouraged. It's a difficult building to build. I've never been to Israel. I've had to look it up online. But if you were to look at where the Temple Mount is, it's, it's actually on a hill. And they don't have the nice and new technology and machinery to put the uh, products and the supplies and the stones and everything that's needed. It, it's not as simple as you just drop it on top. You don't get the 18-wheeler with the little, you know, I don't even know what that device is, that they take all the wood off and drop it off at our house. They don't have that. They've got to manually take the stones up the hill. It's hard work. We're discouraged. The work's been delayed if not by holidays. Simply, there's not been much time. And perhaps the only thing they've had time to do is clear the debris. All we've been able to do is clean up the mess. They're so disappointed. What are we to do? And if that wasn't enough, then there's opposition. And you can read about the two kinds of opposition. One's in Nehemiah. You get outside opposition of people who don't want the people of God to rebuild. But when you read this, you kind of get the sense it's not just outside opposition. It's inside. There are people who are complaining. There are people who are saying, it's not going to be like it was when I was a child. That never works, by the way. When you start sentences with, well, when I was a kid. That's what was used on me often as a child. You know, Danny, when I was a student, and you've heard this Hopefully you haven't said it, but if you have, I'm sorry. I walked uphill to and from. I don't even know how you do that. It never works. The people are discouraged. And you can imagine the others saying, we get it. Solomon's not here. His leadership isn't here. His money isn't here. His direction, his wealth, it's gone. It's not here. We're disappointed. What do we do? The temple has been destroyed and God has told us to rebuild it and we can't. What do we do? And so the word of the Lord comes to Haggai. And what does God say to his people? Be strong and work. Be strong 
and work. Three times he says it. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. If you're following along closely in the book, in the first chapter, he's talking to the leaders. If you're looking in chapter 2, he's talking to everybody. And he's saying, my people, this is not a time. This is not a season to be weak. You must be strong. You must be strong in grace. Isn't that what Paul tells Timothy? You then, my son, be strong in grace. Grow in grace. How do we do that? Well, doesn't Paul tell him? He gives him three word pictures, doesn't he? An athlete, a farmer, a soldier. You work hard. You discipline yourselves. You exercise what you might call spiritual muscles. It's time to get fit, especially if you're men in here. You heard about that this past week. We talked about it. There's the spiritual fitness, and the Lord is saying, be strong. This is not a time to be weak in our faith. And how are we to be strong? He says, be strong and work. Get to it. Be about the mission. We have work to do. He's talking to the men, the women, everybody. We have work to do. What's the work? You and I, we're often bombarded, aren't we, at the moment with news. Let me tell you what you can't do. This is what you can't do. This is what you can't do. This is what you can't do. And what is God saying? Stop. It's about time you start listening to what you can do and work. Praise the Lord for the work that we've seen here. We have a great ministry, Oasis Ministry. It is off the ground and running. They are about the work of the Lord. We want to encourage people. We want to meet practical needs of people. We want to listen to you if you have trouble. Be about the work of the Lord. What is he saying to the people? What is he saying to us? Get to work. The mission of God does not stop because there's problems in the world. And he says, get to work. Get involved in a men's ministry, a women's ministry, children, youth. There are several ministries here, and he's saying, get to work. If you want to learn how to exercise faith, you put it to work. And so the Lord says, it's time to work. Why does God tell them, be strong and work? It's because he sees the people and he sees where they are. What does he say in verse, was it five? Fear not. Now, maybe you're a Bible scholar and you know that that simple command, that imperative, it shows up over a hundred times in the Bible. In fact, it's the most repeated command in the Bible. Fear not. Why? Because you and I, we have a tendency to be afraid, don't we? We have a tendency to live in fear. And I think if we were to pause for a moment, this really hits home, doesn't it? Whether you're in person or on the live stream, some of you, I understand, have serious health concerns and challenges, and we're praying for you. We understand some of the needs you have and concerns you have. But I think some of us, we need to come to the realization that we just live in fear. We're afraid. And God says Christians do not live in fear. It doesn't mean just don't be afraid of the virus. Yes, don't be afraid of it. 
It doesn't just mean don't be afraid of our country and its political climate at the moment. What about your family? What about your job? What about you spiritually? He is saying to the people of God, fear not. We are not to live in fear. We're to be strong in grace, and we are to work. Maybe you've heard that story from C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. It's a, it's a book. C.S. Lewis is writing from a very different perspective. He is writing as to what does it look like, what's the experience, as it were, of a Christian who's being tempted. And he does so by taking on a different role. He's talking about how does Satan, how does the enemy tempt you? And so in this book, he's got four characters, screw tape. He is the senior devil, and he's writing letters to Wormwood. It's the younger devil, and they refer to this person called the patient. That's the Christian, and the enemy is God. Listen to what this uh, portion of it says. Whenever they are attending to the enemy, that is God himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him towards themselves. Keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings there by the action of their own wills. That's in the context of prayer. But what is he saying? That's right. If we could just help the people of God to stop praying, to stop worshiping, to focus on themselves, we've won. Fear not, God says. And do not lose heart. Focus. Come to worship. Come to prayer. Depend on Him. Trust in the Lord. It doesn't mean you shelve your brain and you do not think. It doesn't mean that you do not pay attention, but you trust in the Lord. One person said, discouragement, it's dissatisfaction with the past. It's distaste for the present and distrust of the future. You see what happens as we begin to look inwards and we focus on us. We fail to see what God is doing and what he's called us to do. And so we want to be men, women, children who are strong in grace. And we work because we trust in the Lord. And what assurance do you have that that's what God is calling you to do? What does he tell the people? What does he say to them? Be strong. Work. And what does he say upon those who work against, fight against discouragement? For I am with you. Now, you and I read that real quick, and it sounds like, okay, good. That's a statement for Old Testament Israel. They don't have a category for that. What does it mean that God is with them? It meant one thing to them, the temple. It's the building that's in ruins. How can God say, I am with you, when the temple is utterly shattered? It's because that's a misunderstanding of what it means that God is with you. Alec Motier says something I find quite profound. What he brings to light is he says, the people of God have misunderstood what it meant to be in the temple. You see, God's people didn't go to the temple to meet with God. God came to the temple to meet with his people. You recognize, what is Hebrews teaching you? Blood of uh, bulls and goats, it doesn't take away sin. They only have a foreshadowing of their atonement. 
And that is to be found in Christ. And so God cannot dwell with sinners. So how does God manifest himself to people who have no righteous and perfect sacrifice? He comes to the temple. You see, God does not leave his people. He draws near to his people. And he says, I'm with you. Work. Be strong. And do not fear. I am the Lord. And I'm with you. Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to the news. Stop listening to social media. Stop listening to yourselves. And God says, I'm the Lord. Listen to me. I am with you. Now let's get to work. That's what he's getting at with his people. He's telling them my presence and my promise. That's why he used the covenantal language there in verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you. What is he talking about? He's saying, I made it way back then, and it's still true today. That's why I said, when we're talking about the covenant of Egypt, the Feast of Tabernacles, what are the people celebrating? It's God's faithful work in the past. And God says, that's right. I'm sufficient, and I'm faithful. I told Moses, I'm with you when you go talk to Pharaoh. I told Isaiah, I'm with the people of God. Fear not, I will uphold you. I told Jeremiah, before he begins this prophetic ministry of judgment, I'm with you. Be strong. And if that wasn't enough, what does the Lord Jesus Christ himself say before he ascends on high? People of God, I'm with you. I am with you. And he tells you here, my spirit is in your midst. And what great power, what great presence and promise we have with the Spirit of God who dwells in the hearts of His people. That's assurance. And that's the reminder that says we can work because Jesus promised, I will send the Spirit in my place. And what will He do? He will lead you into what is true. He will convict you of what is sinful. And He will teach you how to rightfully worship and work to the glory of God. I'm with you. I'm with you. Work. Work. Grow your spiritual muscles. Get fit. Because the work of God is still continuing. That's what God tells of his people. This is what I want you to do. But then if you keep reading, God begins to talk about what he's going to do. What are the activities? What's the work of God? There's three words that you might see as activities. I'm going to shake the heavens. I'm going to gather in the nations. I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to fill this house with glory. What are we to make of what God is doing in the world now and even forevermore? It's a, it's a picture. And God is telling through Haggai, this is what I'm going to do in just a little while. You'll see it. And yet it's a greater picture. There's one that's not even yet fulfilled. It is to come. And what is the purpose that God has told them? I want you to rebuild the temple. But why? Is it just because it's broken? Is it just because it's fallen down and it needs some fixing? No, dear friends. That is not why the Lord is telling his people to rebuild the temple. It's because he wants to be with his people and he is foreshadowing something that is coming. Do you see what he says? It's, it's quite odd. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth 
and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. What is he saying? I'm going to work, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring the nations in. And the people are saying, of course you are. Persia, Greece, perhaps even Rome. You see their political understanding of we're going to get back to power. And the Lord is saying, no, no, all things are mine. I do as I please. That's what I think he means when he talks about the silver and gold. He's talking about the treasures of the world. He's going to use that to rebuild his temple, not even Israel's money. He's going to use that of others who do not know him. And you can read about it in Ezra chapter 6. There are finances needed to rebuild the temple, but the Lord is saying, you have missed it if that's all you think I'm doing. I'm going to shake the heavens, and I'm going to bring the nations in. And what is he talking about? What's that vision he's painting for Haggai? What's the one they've already heard about, isn't it? What does Psalm 2 tell us? Ask of me, and I will give the nations your inheritance. Who are we talking about in Psalm 2? Well, we move forward. Isaiah 49. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Who are we talking about? You remember that powerful picture then, don't you? It's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come and Peter's preaching a sermon. Who do we find at this sermon? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, Cretans, Arabians. What's the picture? The world. Here it is. I told you, my people, in just a little while, I will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and I will shake the nations, and I will bring them in. And what is God going to do? I'm going to fill this house with glory. That's what he says. I will fill this house with glory. And you can hear those people now, aren't you? Yeah, but it's not going to be as good as it was. It's going it's to look different. It's not going to be as grand or great. Sure, the temple will look different. It will not have the Ark of the Covenant that was lost in Babylon. It will not have the stone tablets in which Moses wrote on. It will not have certain treasures. So how then can God say, I'm going to fill this house with glory, and it's going to have more glory than the former. This latter house, the one that I am working on now, will be much greater. How is that possible when so many things are gone and so many things are lost? It's because he's telling Haggai, there's a picture of what is coming. And it's not coming in 516 B.C. when the temple is rebuilt. No, no, no. It's coming much greater, much later than that. It's in which I will build the temple of the Lord, the temple of God. It is the place in which I will live, I will reign, and I will rule my people. And what do we understand that temple to be? You just go forward 500 years. And what do we read? In the beginning was the Word. 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. It dwelt, tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a temple far greater than what they've ever seen, far more glorious than anything they could imagine, because it is the incarnation of the Son of God. It is He who will say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It is glorious, the person and work of Jesus. That is true worship. It's not the beauty of your building. It's the humility of the Son of God entering into the hearts of His people and saying, I am with you. It's glorious. Where does this passage end? He has told you there's a greater glory to come. But where does this passage end? Look in verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Haggai is looking into the future. And God has said, I will shake I will shake the heavens, I will shake the nations, and they will come in. And the result is treasures will come in. And God is going to fill this house with glory. But what is the picture of what's coming? It's the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he is incarnated into human flesh, what do we find out about the life work of Jesus? The next shaking of the earth comes at the death of our king. The curtain is torn from top to bottom, and the whole earth shakes. And what do we see on the third day? Peace. Isn't that how he greets his disciples? Peace be with you. I give you peace. That's what we see in the resurrected king. Paul's going to elaborate on that, and he's going to tell you Jesus is our peace. That's the gospel. Jesus is our peace. And that's why Jesus is going to tell them, in this world you might have, you will have, troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world, and what I offer to you is my peace. I give my people peace. And what do we understand will happen? There is another shaking that is coming, but it will be no warning. It will be no foreshadowing. It will be a fulfillment. When the day of the Lord comes, the heavens and the earth will shake. The king will come. He will bring his blood-bought people back to heaven with him. And what do we learn? We learn the people of God forever and ever are with him. And in that place, in that city, there will be no sun or moon. The light is the Lord God himself, the Lamb. And make no mistake, John tells you, there will be no temple because the temple of the Lord is God. And that's what you and I get forever and ever. This is what Haggai is being told by God. And this is the world in which we live in currently. Do not fear. Work. Be strong. Because God is at work. And when he comes again, it will be glory. And glory forever. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, what do I do with that? How do I apply a passage like that? Well, we work, don't we? We work with the perspective that promises and the presence of God 
are with me, it means I can get all in with my church. I can be about the worship and the work of God because it is the only guaranteed success mission you have. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God tells his people, you can work and I'm going to work with you. And my work will give you hope because when I come back, I will take you to be with me forever and ever in glory. And you look for the city that cannot be shaken because its maker and builder is God. And so we today focus on what does it mean to worship, to be in the presence of God with the people of God. And we leave this place and we say, how can we be about the work of God in the world? And I'm asking you, join forces with us. We want to be about such a work like this. This is what Smyrna Presbyterian Church desires to be, prays to be, teaches and preaches to be. We want to love Jesus and make him known. Let me pray to that end. Almighty God, you are the one in whom speaks and the world is in awe. The one whose voice can thunder, who can shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land. We thank you that you, O oh God, are not silent, yet a God who speaks. You have spoken your eternal word, and you have called us to trust you. That when we look and we see things are not the way they should be, we are not to be discouraged, but to be strong, to work and not fear. For you are with us, and you are at work, and you will return again, finishing the work in which you began, and we, your people, will be in your presence forever in perfect peace. So as your word says, help us to trust you. For he or she that does so, their mind will be kept in perfect peace. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.